So, without further ado, Douglas Jacoby. Thank you, Mark. It's great to see you. Uh, it's great to see Mark Shaw. It's great to see a lot of you I know who've been friends and supportive and had a really fun time this morning with the campus group. Uh, thanks, Stuart. I really appreciate what you and Ashley are doing very much. Um, I've had a chance to speak to most of you on previous occasions, so I won't bore you with all kinds of introduction, uh, but I'm, I'm from Atlanta. I, uh, as my daughter graciously introduced me, I'm out here visiting her, but also seeing you. And so I'm uh, just extremely encouraged by many things that are happening this year, transitions around the world, my opportunity to be part of what's going on in the Middle East, in Africa, in Latin America, Asia, Europe, um, all over the U.S., the, the Caribbean, the places where I work. Even uh, I'll be back here in a few weeks speaking at the Pepperdine Lectureship, the huge Bible Lectureship. Um, for me, every day is an adventure. I don't, I, I'm not saying I never had a boring day, but I don't remember it. I think, I suspect it was before I was a Christian. It's just been like 40 years of nonstop uh, adventure. And I think it can be that way for you, too. If you're connected with the Holy Spirit, if you're spending time in the Word, I'm not saying you won't have some dark times, but even those can be pretty adventurous. You don't know where, where you're going to end up on the other side. Life's incredible. The longer I'm a Christian, the more I see that it's okay to be in touch with the emotional side, the emotional side of, of life, the emotional side even of myself. You're clapping not for me. You're probably clapping for yourself there. I have been... I think last time I preached, I, I explained to you my, my devotion to the Psalms uh, in 2012. And in 2013, I was writing, and, and my new book will be coming out in a few weeks. Uh, so my overflow uh, of my heart and an area that I, I love to preach and teach is the Psalms. And so we'll be going there in a moment, and uh, I didn't make any provision to project. So you're going to need your Old Testament your testament of oldness, if you didn't bring it, please uh, reposition your seat so you can look on with someone, okay? Because it's just better. That visual aspect is even better than just the aural aspect. At any rate, wonderful. Oh, also, after the message, I'll be in the back at my table. Please come. I have a free CD for every person in the room today, okay? That's just a small gift for my ministry uh, to you. If you want it, that'll help you with your Bible study. Don't forget. Wealth in the Bible. If you, if you need a, a sermon title, it's Do Not Be Overawed. Uh, maybe, maybe you had that. <clears throat> I sent that in a little earlier. Do Not Be Overawed. Wealth, possessions, money is one of the biggest themes of the Bible. There are far more passages on how we use our money than on faith and repentance and baptism all added together. Did you know that? And some of you did, for sure. In the Old Testament, there's more of an emphasis on prosperity. And today's prosperity preachers will often misquote the Old Testament imply that this agenda is to help us to be wealthy. But when Jesus promised all these things as well, when the Old Testament talks about wealth, it's not talking about having a vacation home or a yacht or even an extra pair of shoes. In the Old Testament, the basic idea of wealth is that you have food and drink and clothes, that you have family, the kinds of blessings in Psalm 128, Psalm 127, and that you have a decent reputation. You're respected in the community. 
And if, you, if people respect you and you have the basics for living, not the luxuries, and you, well, I mean, if, you, if you've got those very simple things, you're living well. And in that respect, yes, the Lord wants us to have that. But we have construed some very interesting doctrines out of Scripture that are not actually there. We have a huge emphasis on managing our money, and we should, because it's not fun to be a slave to those credit card companies. There's nothing fun about that. The borrower is a slave to the lender. That's absolutely true back in the times of Proverbs 22.7, and it's true today. But sometimes, I think in Christian churches, we can give the implication that our goal is really to help our members to spend responsibly, so then they won't be stressed, they can give more money to missions, and, and we'll, be, we'll do well spiritually. And I want to emphasize, I think that is, I, I almost say wrong, it's not dead wrong, but it's, it's at least very incomplete. The goal is not just to reduce your financial stress, and we're always going to have a little bit of that. It's to handle our wealth, handle your possessions as God would have us handle them and bring glory to Him. That's a very different thing from what uh, many will tell us today. The goal is not the American dream. Oh, I'm, I'm all for uh, we the people and so forth. But the goal is not that American dream. The goal is God's will. It's the will of God. Not, not, not that the Horatio Alger American dream rags to riches. Though it's still a pretty good country for do it, making that transition in. Money, you see, biblically speaking, is dangerous. And you don't hear that. When's the last time someone told you that money is dangerous? Debt, dangerous. Money is dangerous. I should probably qualify that before going on. Uh, according to Luke chapter 8, it can choke us. You know, the, the, the parable. Some don't grow at all. The seed is wasted. Others, it comes up quickly. That the fourth category is great. You know, they, they do well. But that, that third one, they grow, but in time, they're choked out by the desire for the things of the world. Just choked. Money can be dangerous. I, uh, I love history. American history is okay. I like the rest of the world, too. And I was going through a, a, a study. Uh, I, I listen when I drive. I drive a lot, so I listen to a lot. And this is a series on Francis of Assisi, the, the medieval preacher who spoke to the birds and who basically gave back everything that his father had ever given to him, and they had to put clothes on him because he was standing naked in front of the bishop. But he said, you know, when Jesus said, give it all away, I'm just going to do that. And he was incredibly influential, amazing figure, Francis. Francis uh, is one of those guys who emphasized how dangerous money can be. And he started a, a, a movement, and his followers were not even allowed to touch money. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that... Uh, they, well, they could use money, they just couldn't want it. No, they couldn't even touch it. And if they accidentally touched money, let's say they found a money bag, what he made them do was pick it up in their teeth, carry it to the dung hill, that is where they put the excrement, and then drop it on the hill. And never touch it again. And you say, well, wait a minute, are you suggesting that, I mean, in our economy, we... You, it's all about money. You have to use money. Yeah, you probably do. But have you ever heard of someone who thought the money was so dangerous 
that he had that kind of an attitude. That, that once you start, once you get your hands on it, one thing leads to another, and you're slipping and sliding out of control. Because that danger is very much a reality in our culture. And I will tell you, from my experience traveling around the world and, and even many uh, churches, it is uh, a condition, it is a dis-ease even among Christians. It's called materialism, and it's an issue that the Bible talks about uh, directly, even in the Psalms. And it's not a place that you necessarily would have predicted. Jesus told the Pharisees, who loved money, that what's highly valued among men is detestable in the sight of God. Would you highly value a $5 bill? Probably not. But how about a million dollars? Yes. What's highly valued among us is detestable in the sight of God. What does that mean? I'm not here trying to explain to you what that means. I'm just pointing out that that scripture's there. There's a warning here. There is a warning not to be awed by this. Jesus told the Pharisees, uh, I mean, this is in Luke 16, 13 and 14. They, they, they love money, and he says, you can't serve both God and man. God and mammon. You can't serve both God and money. You've got to make a choice. And so this is where I'm coming from today. Where are we putting our hope? What is it that's firing us up? This, uh, this study on the Psalms has really got me going. And uh, in, in the new book, I've got chapters on, are you thriving or are you just surviving? Uh, one of the chapters is called uh, Singing in the Shower. I've got one uh, called Prayers You Should Not Pray. I, I'll, I'll just share a, an excerpt from the beginning, and by that time you'll be ready to begin with me in Psalm 49. You haven't been flourishing. You have not been flourishing as, as a Christian for a while now. When people ask you, how are you doing, brother? Your answer is an automatic, okay, or fine. Blank words that don't really tell what you're feeling. The real inner self is drifting in a sea of turmoil and uncertainty. The captain's nowhere in sight. You've lost your anchor. And who are you fooling anyway? Aren't many of them also experiencing the same melancholy and unspoken agreement to keep things superficial, guarantees that neither you nor they will ask the uncomfortable questions? That is, how are we truly doing? This dynamic is especially a common among middle-aged Christians, those who have been following the Lord 15 to 20 years. Okay, that, that number's arbitrary. I made that up. But it does mean something. You've been around... Uh, 10 years, 15, probably more than 10, 20 years, 30 years as a Christian, and you've not just slowed down, but you're getting conformed to the world. And we are in danger of slowly succumbing to spiritual suffocation. How would you like to die? I think about this maybe more often than I should, like yesterday, flying here. I was thinking, I sure hope this nonstop from Atlanta to L.A. doesn't, like, go missing. You know, I... Where is it? No one knows. <laughs> How did you lose it? But I really do think about this. When I go, what, the way I would love to go would probably be like the firing squad or beheading. You may say this is a bit morbid, but, you know, it's going to happen to some of us. Or, I mean, just something quick. Uh, the guillotine. Uh, I'll be in Paris later this year. You think of the French Revolution. Now, there's a revolution for you. They knew how to have a revolution. Or I was in Hanoi couple years ago, in the Hanoi Hilton, they have a guillotine that they used in the, in the prison. If you really got out of line, they, they cut your head off. That would be really quick, but being suffocated, 
like slowly dragged under water or room filling up with sand or maybe... Have you ever been swimming? You're in a pool and someone's kind of jumping on you and pulling you and it's not funny because you're getting tired and it's like a bit of panic. You don't think you're going to die, but it sure feels... You know what I'm talking about? And it's not funny. It's that suffocation. I don't want to go that way. The Bible warns us about money in this way we can be suffocated. We, we, hypoxic, hypoxic. You know, you, you, you don't have enough oxygen, and eventually you just pass out. And then by then you've lost your commitment. No longer you're really living as a disciple of Christ. Now, in the Psalms, let, let, me, uh, let me share a, a verse I love in, chapter 70, in Psalm 73. This is what the wicked are like. They're always free of care. The wicked, free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. I've washed my hands in innocence. And in that psalm, that's actually 73, the man is slipping away from God until he gets a spiritual perspective. But he's afraid that these, these people who are not putting Jesus first, of course they didn't know it was Jesus, they, they weren't putting the Lord first, they are amassing wealth and they're carefree. It's an impression that life is good for them. And we can envy them. And this guy wasn't doing well until he entered the presence of God and then he he saw in an eternal light where they're really going. Have you ever envied a rich person? So I was thinking about this, uh, I guess about 10 days ago. Uh, I've met a number of rich people through the years, but I wouldn't say I envy them, but then maybe I do, maybe I'm self-deceived, and here's why. Sometimes I'll read a novel or I'll be watching a film, a movie. And there'll be a character who seems to have, like, endless money. Uh, you know, he can go out to any nice restaurant any times he wants. He's around drinking the finest wines and traveling and this or that. And, and part of me feels like, well, that'd be kind of nice not to have to worry about it at all. But then it occurs to me, these are characters in, in fiction, But when I meet an actual person of great wealth, I don't think he's any different than you or me. In fact, sometimes I think they're more messed up than we are. And we're pretty messed up. But the wealthy people, it's not like they're really worth envying. The people that I'm tempted to envy don't even exist. They're in fiction. But factual, real rich people, when I meet them, I think, no, I, I, I wouldn't trade my life. I wouldn't trade my life for that. So what do you like there? Psalm 49. And we'll, we'll go to verse 10. All can see that the wise die. The foolish and senseless alike will perish, leaving their wealth to others. Okay, we're all going to die. You can't take it with you. Verse 11. Their tombs will remain their houses forever. Their dwellings for endless generations even though they had named lands after themselves. You know, sometimes you give money to a, an institution and they name a building after you. Or maybe a country. You remember the, the uh, uh, Italian explorer Amerigo di Vespucci? What did they name after him? America. Okay, so you're a big shot. Uh, they named a, a country after you. Or maybe you're a wonderful, impressive woman. They name a city after you. So... Let's look at God's perspective. Man in his pomp, despite his wealth, does not endure. He's like the beasts that perish. 
We're like animals. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. Because you know these rich people who will be quoted in the, uh, you know, in the gossip mag- magazines and on TV, they'll be quoted, and they have their approvers, people who follow them, and pretend that their life is good, even though they don't know even how to have a relationship, most of these people. They, have, they don't have no idea what fidelity even means. Well, this is the fate of them and those who approve their saying. They're like sheep destined to die. Death will be their shepherd. This is not encouraging. Their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions, verse 14. So they've got this you know, big car, big house, but they're going to rot away in the grave. And you, you do think about this as you get older. But God will redeem me from Hades. He will surely take me to himself. Now, verse 16. Do not be overawed when a man grows rich. Maybe it's investments. Maybe he finds the attache case full of $50 bills, which I've fantasized about from time to time. Now, what would happen if I just found a briefcase full of money and it's probably drug money or something, but what if it wasn't and if I took it and it didn't find me and kill me like in all the movies about that? But what would it be like to have it? I mean, that's a kind of a dangerous meditation. But I obviously have thought about it at least once because I've mentioned it to you. So I've thought about it at least twice now, counting today. Don't be overawed. You can't take it with you, and so forth and so on. Uh, don't be overawed. The wily count himself blessed, and people praise you when you do well for yourself. Oh, my son, my baby boy, he did well for himself. Look at him. He's got a nice house. He's driving a, oh, he's driving a BMW. He's a good man. Nothing wrong with a car. Please don't mistake me or misundertake me. But people say you do well for yourself when you are doing kind of wealthily for yourself. And that's what the world says. But the problem is a lot of Christians buy into it. A lot of us get get duped. His soul will join those who have gone before him who will never again see the light of life. Man in his pomp, but without understanding, is like the beast that perish. We're taught... That money defines us. What's your net worth? Oh, that's the difference between my assets and my liabilities. I mean, like what I have and what someone else, <laughs> what I owe. And that's what you're worth? Are you worth chemically something? Like if we boil you down and we sell off the, the fat, we skim that off, and then we, uh, we have the precipitates of you know, different chemicals and uh, some of them may be kind of rare. If we sold you, what, what are you worth? Like... $13 today or $14. Is that your worth? It's not your physical worth. But neither, and that's silly, but neither is it your financial worth. That's not your worth. What are you worth in the sight of God, in whose eyes money is detestable? In God's eyes, what we're worth actually has nothing to do with money. Oh, it has a lot to do with how we manage money. Because that has to do with our faithfulness and our heart, and whether we're materialistic or not, but we should not be overawed by wealth because only God is awesome. Only God should wow us. If you're meeting a famous person in L.A., you've got more than in most cities, you go, wow, I think that's so-and-so, and your knees are knocking together, and you're shaking too much to get an autograph, and you're, you're being wowed, you're being overawed. These are just people, flesh and blood. They got... They had grandparents. They've got kids. They've got burdens. They're going to die, probably after a sickness. And they'll realize that much of what they lived for wasn't even worth it. 
why do you, why are you part of their fantasy like by pretending that it's so awesome? You're not helping them. This kind of stuff is in the Psalms. Net worth does not come down to money. Uh, a few days ago, I found something on the highway. I was walking our dog. Um, our, our dog, Stuart, is very intelligent. And uh, we're walking him on the... I'm, I'm having fun. He's my... You said I was your friend, so if you're my friend, then I can say whatever. Okay, the, name, the dog's not named Stuart, just, just so you know. But I was walking our dog... And along the highway to the, the hallowed ground where she does her, her uh, transactions, actually, it's a dead church. It's a church where they only meet once a week for about an hour, and there's no one ever there, and there's lots of pine straw. And let's just say, if they ever want to turn to agriculture with their land, the, the crops will be produced very fruitfully. Let's put it that way. So I'm taking the dog, and we're walking down the highway, and there's paper everywhere. Well, that's not unusual in a city, but these were... This was a lot of paper. And I, I'm thinking, because I'm spiritual, I wonder if the, uh, the Baptist, it's a primitive Baptist church, that's what they call it. So what are, are they going to come out and clean this up? And I, and I take the dog to hallowed ground and so forth. And then uh, we're returning, uh, lighthearted and, and physically lighter too, slightly. And I'm wondering, should I do something about this? I mean, what about the golden rule? Should I fix? And I, I, I looked down and I, I looked at these papers and I thought, whoa. Those are tax papers. I'm looking, and I'm going over here and picking up that one, and some of them were in the ditch, some of them were in the middle of the road. I had to wait, it gets a busy road. I wait till traffic was just right. I'm running out there with the dog and grabbing up the papers. It was more than 100 pages. His investments, and I will say he had done well for himself. <laughs> social security number, his kid's social security number. I know his name. I know his wife's name. I know how much he made. I mean, this is a guy who is making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Now, what does the world say? Now, if it had been $100 bills I'd been stopping and picking up, you'd, you'd think that was different somehow. But the principle would be the same. But this really happened. And the world would say, oh, he did well for himself. In fact, his entire worth is defined by his income and his assets, right? Well, I picked it up out of the dirt, which has a certain symbolic significance, and I picked it up, and I'll tell you, whoever he is, that's not his net, that's not his worth. You're not worth what is written on the papers of your, your tax, what do you call it? It's like a book in this country, it's crazy. In, in England and Sweden, you just signed one-page paper, and that was it. That's all it was. Here, you need a lawyer to check on your own lawyer. It's crazy. <laughs> Would you envy him? Would you envy that man? Wow, he must have a better life than me. Look at that. Wow, all that money. My friends, don't get sucked in. There's no ending it. We will be suffocated. It's something we've struggled with, particularly in our own church family for years and for decades. And this has the potential. If you want to set yourself aside from the vast sea of religion, of churchianity, change your attitude towards wealth and money. And you will distinguish yourself because we're talking about living a holy life that pleases God. 
I'm so inspired by examples of, of brothers and sisters who are not controlled by wealth. I won't name anyone, but I think of a single brother. Knows he doesn't need all the money he makes and gives 50% of it back to the church and to the poor. I think of an older woman who moves around the world and lives among the poorest of the poor. Lives in many countries, and she's in her late 70s. In fact, I know another woman who does the same. I know two women who are almost 80. And they live in places that some of you would be afraid to even visit. And they're doing something with those, quote, uh, twilight years. I'm moved by that. By empty nest couples downsizing and relocating to nations where people have nothing and working for the good of those people. Is this the kind of thing that we would do? Would we even consider it? It's the kind of thing we better start thinking about in the Middle Ages because unless I'm totally off in my judgment, a huge number of middle-aged Christians better do something radical in those Middle Ages or it'll be maybe too late to change. The, the, the lukewarmness will fossilize into just a respectable shell of Christianity. We can't do that. Plus, you're missing out the entire adventure. God calls us to life to the full. It may not be a lot of wealth, but I'll tell you how you manage it is a biblical subject. And then, finally, we move into the last section, which is Psalm 39. Would you please turn there while I ask you a couple more questions? What are you doing if most of the income you bring in just simply goes to pay your mortgage? That is, you've got a really nice place, and if you do the calculations, the majority of the money you make is really just paying off the mortgage or the rent. Well, I have to live in an enormous place. Well, why couldn't you live in a little smaller place? Well, I do. Well, it's all relative. What if you downsize some more? What if, I mean, how much of our income is going to cover luxuries? Where are we putting our hope? It's funny, in the United States, we get so fixated on, what about retirement? Most countries, they say, what are you talking about? I work until the day before I drop dead. Hopefully my family will take care of me. We'll see. I mean, here, we've got to have this safety net. No, I'm not against it. Please, I don't want to be a burden on people when I'm a senior, which officially starts in about uh, five months. I mean, I don't want to be a burden on people either. But don't put your hope there. In fact, I almost think like we may be hurting our kids by giving them an inheritance. I hear Christians will quote the Proverbs, a righteous man leaves inheritance to his children's children. Therefore, we should be leaving money to our kids and our grandkids, which sounds kind of good, except I'm not quite sure that's the way we're supposed to read the Proverbs. And, I mean, a righteous person doesn't, like, eat the entire meal at the same time. I mean, he does, he's generous and he plans. But is it a biblical principle that you have to build up this big estate for your children and grandchildren? Could it be that we're actually hurting our children and grandchildren? Would it possibly be even better if we gave them nothing? Now, I'm not suggesting doing that in my case, and my children will be happy to know that. But what if you didn't give them anything, and they knew that? So there'd be no fawning, obsequious behavior, no prepositioning in the inheritance line. Uh, they, they knew that, well, if you want it, you better ask for it now while I still have it. And... And inheritance may actually hurt people spiritually because the message being sent on is that the goal is to live and to die, that is your last 25 years, comfortably and then play it forward and make sure others have a comfortable American dream in their final decade or two as well. You see, that is not what the Bible talks about. But that's what the Pharisees were into because Jesus 
x-ray vision saw right into their hearts, and that's why I shared Luke 16 before. Anyway, just think about those. Are you in Psalm 39 yet? I think so. Okay. I said, I'll watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I'll put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So this guy, he wants to say something, but he's not sure. Look, verse 2. So I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good. But my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. Reminds you of Jeremiah 20. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. This is like Psalm 90, isn't it? Everyone's but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. You, it's like Ecclesiastes. You heap it up, but the guy after you, he may be a fool. <laughs> I mean, you're killing yourself to do well financially. Think everyone running around like a phantom, in vain, rushing about, heaping up wealth. Think of the stock market. Buy, buy, sell, lower, higher, up, down. Think of the shopping mall at Christmas time. This is our world, like a colony of termites going here and there, and it's all, they're all buzzing around money. Read Ecclesiastes 4.4 4, if you're not sure of the reference. But this is our world. It's phantom. You can't take it with you. This is not the real world. The real world is the world of God. It's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. And that's why he ends up, but now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Because as he shares in Psalm 39, everyone's but a breath. You consume their wealth like a moth. Everyone's but a breath. So you want to enjoy life, verse 13, spiritually? Do you want to have an adventure the way it began when you came out of the river, the creek, the pool, the pond, the ocean, the baptistry? Do you want to really have life as it was meant to be lived? Then remember that we will die. And remember to accept God's word is authoritative. Do not be overawed when a man grows rich, and that includes you and me, if we're doing better, not to be too impressed. So, friends, money doesn't matter. Now, some of you are going to walk out of here and use that as an excuse to come late to work tomorrow or, or not to push yourself, and you've totally misunderstood. Because I'm talking about the heart. I'm talking about the kind of men and women we need to be in the eyes of God. But money doesn't matter, so don't be overawed. How we deal with money does matter. Don't be overawed by the wrong dream. The right dream will have us focused outward to give to others and to share with Wow, the lost to share with the poor, to share and to give, not just giving to ourselves. As a psalmist cries, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. If our treasure is on earth instead of being in heaven, then we end up, well, instead of being spiritually realistic, we become unrealistically materialistic. We're tight-fisted instead of open-handed. We're money-loving instead of money-giving. Because instead of controlling our expenses, we're controlled by our expenses. And that's not right. Instead of longing to be spiritually healthy, we just want to be unnecessarily wealthy. Instead of being uh, inquisitive, we end up being acquisitive. This is wrong. The result is rather than sharing and daring, we're hardly even caring. We're just focused on ourselves. Because instead of being awed by God, we're awed by money. And that's not funny. Don't be overawed when a man grows rich 
be awed only by the presence of God. Stand in awe of Him and of Him alone. This is the message of the Psalms. Check it out and you will see this is the message of the Word of God.